Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and I'm very excited to be here today with Jennifer Dukes-Lee. Um, she's all kinds of things. I, I'd love to talk about these things, Jennifer. You're a former journalist. You're a, an author, a speaker. Um, and today we're going to talk with Jennifer about her new devotional, Stuff I'd Only Tell God, a guided journal of courageous honesty, obsessive truth-telling, and beautifully ruthless self-discovery. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody who's listening. It's so good to be here. So before we get started talking about your book, um, we like to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet in air quotes? Where do you like to go to feel close to God? Yeah. You know, it's like asking about a favorite kid, you know, it's so right because there's so many fun and it changes all the time, especially when we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so wherever we go, he goes along with us. But places where um, on a daily basis, I am aware and intentional with him are in my home. I have a little sunroom on the north side of the house and um it used to be a deck, but it is so windy where we live. We're out in rural Iowa that we were just constantly getting blown away out there. So Scott tore off the deck and we built this um, sunroom and I am obsessed with it. It overlooks our farm fields. So I get to see how the natural world works through seasons. And that's always such a blessing to me as I move through the seasons of my life. Um, the second place that I love to meet with God is out on these country roads, little dusty country roads, and just being out under a big blue sky just reminds me how big God is. And then the third place, I have a lake up in Minnesota that I just love, that we love to visit. And, and anytime I'm there, it feels like a thin space to me or a thin place where heaven and earth seem close. And so that's been a really rich time with the Lord, just being in his world. And I guess I, it sounds like the common thread among all of my favorite places is somewhere that I can look at the things that he created outside of a house. There is so much good stuff in there, Jennifer. I just want to go on like five different tangents. So <laughs> first one, though, that just yeah. really got me because I've experienced this recently. You talk about a thin place. So that is exactly how I would describe several places and just um, places and circumstances. I would say both. There are circumstances where I, I just think of it as the veil thins between heaven and earth. And there's just this you know, God is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is in us, but there are places where I just feel like it has, and, and times also in my life where I just feel like there has to be, there's, there's something just thinned between heaven and earth and God and me. Um, so recently my oldest son and I went to Guatemala and there's a school there, um, that was, it's called Opal house. And it was established by this couple that, um, just had a heart to serve some of the underprivileged kids in rural Guatemala. And they they built a chapel and they call it their first fruits chapel. And basically it was the first building that they constructed on the property. Um, and then they built the rest of the building and some of the other things after that. But that there was something about that place and taking communion each morning when we had our our team got together and we had like a devotional and I've, I've never experienced just that level of thinness before. So talk about that. What is that like and how have you experienced that? And, and yeah. 
what's that all about? <laughs> yeah. And you did such a good job of really, in a way, defining what a thin place or some people call them thin spaces are. So they're actual physical like locations on earth where the veil between heaven and earth seems very thin and porous. Um, we say thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what it feels like to me. It's, it's where you're in the middle of a sacred, sacred transcendent place. And it could be somewhere very obvious, like in the sanctuary of a church, it could be very obvious, like having the sacrament, those are automatically thin places because of the presence of God in his house, the presence of God in the, the body and the, and the blood. Um, and so those can be thin places. Thin places could also surprise us um, when we're in the midst of nature and we look at the sunset and it causes us to pause and feel like the holy hug of God, like he is right here with us in this moment. Interestingly enough, I was talking to my daughter, Anna, who just got back from Guatemala and she had climbed um, some mountain there, some volcano, like a very, you know, maybe one it's, of the it's near, in, yeah, like near tons Antigua. of volcanoes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so she had, she had, you know, gotten to the top and was over the clouds. Um, and to her, that was a thin place. I can have thin place moments on an airplane when we're up yes. above the cloud line and I look out the window and I think, what a wonderful world. What a, you've created these things, God. So it's just any place where we just have a, our, our awareness sort of, uh, of God awakened in a way that is beyond just the normal. And I, I do think if we're the only way you can really see him is to, you know, to slow down enough to, to be, to be in his presence and to notice, I think that we are running past thin places all the time because we're in a hurry. Yeah, because we're running and we're running. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that slowing down. It's that, you know, being still. And and I do find that the other type of thin place is more of a time in my life. And usually it's a time of suffering or coming to the end of myself, um, intense, um, just, I don't know about fear, but just um, uncertainty when all of the false sense of security, all of the the infrastructure that I put around myself and my family that I kind of sometimes rely on for safety and security fall apart. That's when I have experienced the thinning. And to be quite honest, not for TMI, but when I have hormone imbalances and I feel like I can't keep it together, I feel closer to God. I feel like I am holding on by just a thread and that he's the only thing that that I have sometimes. And so, yeah, it's very interesting. So that's that's a theme that I would love to explore more, you know, just in my that's own cool. life is yeah. Jamie, just... I love that that your your idea of thin place is more than necessarily the physical place. It's transcendence beyond that. It's it's the, it's almost like you're allowing to see yourself and your, your soul as a thin place, the embodiment of that, like God in you, God with you in your suffering. Um, 
like you, you cart around your thin place with you. That's, Sometimes, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be a place on a map. It doesn't have to be like a mountain. It doesn't have to be magnificent. It could be in your regular ordinary life today. I love that. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. Well, thanks. I think, and I think it can be both. So mm-hmm. yeah, very neat. Well, I, I would also love to learn more about your farm because I mean, scripture is full of examples of agriculture and farm life and nature and seasons. And what a beautiful way to get to witness that firsthand. So can you just tell us a little about a little bit about where you live and how that's impacted your prayer life, your spiritual life? Yes, we live on a farm in Northwest Iowa, and my husband and I grow corn, soybeans, and a lot of pigs. <laughs> I actually and took a swine this... production class in well, college. I was an animal science major, so I'm well, familiar. Well, very cool. So you're familiar with the, the pork production industry. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to be a part of um, a farm that has been in one family since 1870, so five years after the Civil War. Five generations of, of Lee's have um, taken care of this land and been part of a food production industry. And we feel really, you know, very humbled to get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's also in a way uh, points us to God and his faithfulness through generations of our family. When we moved back here, I wouldn't say that Scott, my husband and I were committed believers at the time. We were, we were raised in the church, um, but not living surrendered lives to him. Uh, And our spiritual lives grew up through seasons like a field of corn, just slowly over time, incremental growth. And I learned so much about God uh, by looking and observing the fields. In fact, I wrote a whole book about that. It's called Growing Slow. Um, It's about me as an accidental farm wife learning how to slow down and appreciate the seasons we're in. So that whole story is told from spring seasons, summer autumn and winter and the value of each of those seasons on a farm and the value of each of those seasons on our life in in our lives. So my, um, my, my spiritual journey has been enriched deeply by being on a farm and those farm stories that Jesus told mean a lot to me in a very literal way when he speaks of soils and seeds and, you know, he calls himself the good shepherd. So there's all of these uh, farm references and people on the Galilean hillside would have understood it all from a very personal perspective. They, they were farmers. They were sheep herders. They were vine dressers. They had the dirt underneath their fingernails to know. So you don't have to live on a farm to um, understand the work of the Lord, obviously. I think, though, that we can all learn about God by growing things. By, you know, you and I get to see each other right now and I see a potted plant over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I think any, you know, any time that we engage growth in this way and see it as a metaphor for our growth and needing to be nurtured, watered, cared for, sit in light of the sun, all of those kinds of things teach, teach us a lot about who we are in Jesus. Absolutely. We have Alana and my co-host and I have a whole episode on prayer, maybe two, I think we did two prayer lessons from plants because I love it. yeah, she's a huge indoor plant person and I love gardening outdoors. My poor little prayer plant back here used to look way better. I, I have learned some lessons by killing plants and 
almost killing plants and resurrecting them. I, I Those are the lessons that I typically <laughs> learn from indoor plants, but I love outdoor gardening. And, and so, yeah, it, it's been really fun to explore that because there are just so many. Um, well, I have written down that the title of your book, because I want to read that next. That sounds wonderful. I can't wait to, to read that and get kind of a window into your, into your farm life. Well, um, your new, your new journal that's out is called stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd only tell God. And I just love, I love the feel of this journal because I think it's so important to have tools in our hands that help bridge the gap between us and God in any way. And I think one of the huge gaps that a lot of us feel is just getting started, not just getting started, but also um, getting honest. Like I, I think we put masks on sometimes for other people and even sometimes for ourselves and for God, even though we know in our head, well, God knows everything. But I think we still like have some self-deception that needs to be peeled away. And I feel like that's what this journal really does. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about what inspired you to write it and who you hope it will be for? Absolutely. I love that, um, how you're describing that um, kind of lack of authenticity that we can sometimes have before God. To continue with your plant metaphor, it's like being a fake plant. It looks good, like this one right behind me that you can see, but there is no life to it. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, my my goal with Stuff I'd Only Tell God is for you to um, see where there is growth, where there needs to be tending, what is dying in your life, what is coming to life. And um, not just to look pretty like a fake plant, but to be um, immersed in um, the life-giving force of God and being honest before, before him is a huge and critical first step that continues as you move forward in life. And that that's a huge reason I wrote this book is because I wanted to give people a safe place to be completely honest with God. We hold back a lot because we think, I don't want God to know that, which is really ridiculous, I get, because he obviously knows everything. But I, I think we, we, I know we tend to hold back. We tend not to confess certain things. We don't want to say certain things out loud. We don't want to write down certain things or admit the mess that we're in right now before God or people. Uh, but in my own life, laying things down before him have been utterly life-changing in, and have helped me have been the path on which I have been drawn closer to the Lord and finding out that when I am ruthlessly honest with him, when I say things that I can't believe I just said that God comes at me with arms open wide and welcomes my curiosity, welcomes my question, says, I see your sin. I know what to do with that. I've already done something with that. It, it, it's a way to be really um, intentional in wanting to say, I'd like to go to the next level with you, Lord. So that's why I wrote it. And, you know, what inspired it, though, really honestly, were a couple of things. Number one, I was a news reporter for many years, and I loved asking questions. And I think I did a pretty good job at it when I was a news reporter. Uh, but what I didn't do very a very good job of is asking questions of myself or asking questions of God. When I started to do that, when I realized that all of the doubts that I had uh, were not going to find any answers until I was brave enough to ask questions, that's when 
my the lights began to go on. I began to interrogate the Bible and really kind of interrogate God in the same way that I was interrogating news sources. And it led me into really a saving faith to the point where I was kind of agnostic. I don't know what you would call me, but now here I am a committed believer. I, I write Christian books, which is just wild to me when, you know, 25 years ago, I didn't know what I thought about Jesus. And it's all, it all started with um, asking questions and um, waiting around long enough to hear the answer from the Lord. Those are both so important. I think, and, and, and they're so hard. So what was it that got you to the place of even thinking to ask questions about the Bible, about God, about Jesus? I uh, hit that point in my life where I'm like, there's got to be more, uh, but I'm not sure if the faith of my youth is the answer because I did not have intellectual confidence in it. Um, I was not convinced that there was even a Jesus who walked the earth, let alone died on a cross and came out of a tomb. Um, but when I began to question the scriptures to figure out, is this stuff true? I, I came across prophecy, which blew me away. And that's like a whole nother podcast episode, yeah. but that really drew me in. I ran across Thomas, who I grew up on. I knew who Thomas was. He was called Doubting Thomas, which was super sh shameful. And yes. I'm like, well, that's bad because I'm doubting Jennifer. So I thought, well, I wonder how Jesus reacted to Thomas. And there's this question that Thomas asks Jesus in John 14, 5. He says to Jesus, how will we know the way? None of the other disciples asked the question, but they may have all been thinking it. Who knows? But he was brave enough to say, how will we know the way? And Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what, Thomas, why don't you just get on out of here because you are annoying me with your questions. Instead, what we get is Jesus in Fort John 14, 6 saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. We don't get that beautiful verse in John 14, 6 without the question that Thomas asked in John 14, 5. This speaks a lot to me about Jesus' willingness for us to come to him with intellectual curiosity and how gently he holds it in his hands and how he's not intimidated by it. He's not freaked out by the dumb things we do. He's not surprised. He's not, you know, anxious by our sudden question asking. He just answers it and helps us grow. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I came to a similar conclusion about Thomas, where I actually read about Thomas and came away thinking, we've been duped like this whole time mm -hmm. by thinking about him as this joke or this lacking faith. All the times, Jesus had lots of times where he said, you of little faith to his disciples and reprimanded them and scolded them. But not a single time when Thomas asked to see his hands and, you know, feel the wounds that was not met with anything like that. It was met with, yeah, here you go. It was very open. And, and Thomas, you know, I, I read in a commentary once that, that the, um, like the, the response that Thomas had to Jesus when he says, my Lord and my God is one of the most overt acknowledgements of who Jesus was in all of the Bible. And it came from this guy, it came out of, it was fruit 
that came out of questions. And I just love that. That's right. <laughs> That's it. right. And that, you know, I, I that was so utterly life changing for me. And I wanted mm-hmm. to create a place for people to ask questions and answer questions. Um, answer questions like, these are things that I believe to be true about God. These are things that I no longer to be true, believe to be true about God. These are people I'm having a hard time forgiving right now. These are fears that I'm having. This is a bad habit I'd like to get rid of. I mean, there are literally thousands of individual prompts that my prayer is will draw you deeper into relationship with the Lord. I love that. Well, could you tell us a little bit? I mean, obviously journaling is important to you because you took time to create this wonderful journal, but like, how did you start journaling and how has journaling specifically impacted your prayer life and your relationship with God? I've had an on and off relationship with journaling ever since I was a little girl in fourth grade. I had my Pac-Man book of secrets. It had a little lock on it with a key (laughs) and I would hide it under my mattress and pull it out the next night. Um, I have had, you know, college notebooks that aren't like beautiful journals. They're just places to record my thoughts. I still have some of those and I look back and I see the anguish with which I was writing about like teenage angsty things in my life and how I was leaning at the, on the Psalms in those journals. Um, I went through a drought of journaling when I didn't know what I believed in him. Um, so probably like about a 12 or 13 year zero journaling. And then when the Lord got a hold of my heart, after we moved back to the farm, I began prayer journaling. And that was um, hugely impactful for me. Every morning and every night, I would, um, I mean, it was, there was nothing, quote, special. I mean, it was just a list of people needing prayer. And when I go back and I look at that now, and things that I needed for prayer too, of course, when I go back and I look at that now, I see God's hand in and how intercession was, even though I really didn't know what I was doing, like how it was effective and how it was impacting me. That was really kind of like a list of this is what I want you to do, God, I confess, because I wasn't really developed in my prayer life at that moment. Um, that, that, you know, that evolved, like we grow in faith and my journaling moved into gratitude lists. It moved into, um, you know, things that I'm feeling or right. I mean, I even consider like the margins of my journaling Bibles to be a way of journaling. This is how I'm understanding this passage for what's going on in my life right now. So I've gone through all kinds of different journaling phases and I I haven't had like one certain kind of journal uh, be my go-to. This journal, stuff I'd only tell God is um, kind of a collection of all of those things and, and much more, but all along in, in each case, the journaling has impacted my prayer life in that, in this, my journal entries don't always say, dear God, but I understand because I'm coming from a Christian worldview that when I'm writing these things down, I'm not writing them down primarily as a conversation to myself. I'm writing them down as something I'm laying before the Lord. Um, And it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be Instagrammable. It just has to be honest. That's the only rule I have about journaling is just, just be honest. I think 
lately, and maybe more than just lately, but I know lately I've heard a lot about secular journaling being, uh, you know, just a great therapeutic tool apart from prayer journaling or journaling with the intent of inviting God into what it is that you're writing. Um, so what are some of the, I'd like two part question. What are some of the benefits of journaling period? And then what is the difference between just secular journaling with an echo chamber of your own mind and actually journaling and inviting God into that process? Yes. So, uh, therapists use journaling as a tool all the time in a secular context. And it is true that that level of journaling and honesty with yourself can produce some measure of fruitfulness in your life. However, as Christians, that is going to take us to a deeper place because we're not just saying it to our therapist or to our mead notebook or to ourselves as an echo chamber, as you said, we're coming before the Lord and say, I need life change in this area, or this, these are places where I've seen you grow me in the past. And I want to thank you for that. This is what I'm missing out on in my life. And there's, it's not just dropping it there. It's knowing that somebody's picking it up and carrying it with you. So from a Christian worldview, there is a, a, a different kind of level of healing that is taking place as you're moving through journaling. And that is a very healing thing to do. Um, you know, I've got a, in just as an example, a genogram is something that a, a secular therapist might encourage someone to fill out in their therapy. And so what a genogram is, it's like a, like a psychological family tree and you diagram the history of behaviors and personalities and tendencies of your families family members, like even going back a few generations, if you know. Uh, so you would look at um, maybe personalities or did ha, have people struggled with anger issues or unfaithfulness, addiction, and also, you know, who was particularly faithful to God or who has a rich prayer life. And then what you do is you kind of, you look at this and you begin to see the interplay of tendencies and generations and what you're carrying through and, you know, as Christians, we think of these things as generational strongholds, and we can look to scripture and see how we can move past these generational strongholds with the help of Jesus. So a secular therapist might give you some tools to rise up and move past these things and make um, intentions and goals for yourself. As a Christian, we do those things too, but we're inviting the creator of heaven and earth into that space so that we can say, God, help me see the patterns in my genogram and help me see what I need to carry forward in my own family and with my children or nieces and nephews or what have you. And then also, God, what cycles do I want to stop and how can you help me get there? Hmm. So, you, you know, I mean, it, it's just different. I, I mean, we, we all know this as Christians who are listening right now, like going through hard things with Jesus, with Jesus along is, is hard, but going through it without him is unbearable. So um, there is this, there, there are all kinds of tools that, that uh, you could use toward healing, but when you fold in Jesus, it changes everything. It does. It's there's just um, and it's so true with so many different components of our spiritual lives. I mean, 
just, just even within prayer, you know, there's, there's a secular meditation that brings health benefits and there are proven things that, you know, can do good things, but it's nothing. It's, it's a shadow. It's a hollow shell compared to the fullness of what God intended it to be, which is an actual communication with him, a two-way communication. Um, I want to back up because I think we touched on the first part of why um, your own personal story of not being afraid to ask questions, um, how that kind of revolutionized your life and, and opened the door for God to work. But um, kind of along the lines of journaling, you talked about the importance of being still and receiving because it really, you can ask thousands of questions, but if you never slow down to receive from God, you're never, it's, you know, what, what are you going to do? You're, you're just asking questions to the wind. So how, how did you slow down to ask those, to listen for the answers to those questions and, and did journaling play a role in that? Yes. I think that, um, journaling to me is the same as out loud prayer. Um, but mm -hmm. they're just two different mediums. Mm -hmm. and they are the first part of a two-way conversation. Uh, in the same way that when my husband walks through the door after a busy day on the farm, I don't unload on him all of the things I need him to do for me and all, and even in like all the ways that I love him uh, without standing around to receive the other half of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So um, listening in prayer as in conver any conversation is just as, or in this case, more important than saying what we need to say. Uh, that's how we receive his comfort. That's how we receive guidance. It's how we receive clarity on decision-making. It's how God reminds us how much we are loved in times when we don't feel very unlovable. You know, we can just, we can say that to God, like, God, can you spend the next few minutes and just tell me, tell me that you love me and, and how, let me know you love me. I need to know, because we know scripturally that that's true, that he does love us. So receive that and ask him to guide you in his scriptures to, he's speaking all the time through scriptures, through nature, through friends, through just those impressions that you have in the Holy Spirit. And that's where real life change goes next level is when we when we listen. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have advice for the person listening who's just like, okay, I want to listen, I want to be still, but I just stop and I'm silent and I don't hear anything. I hear people talk about God speaking to them. So could you give just some practical tips for being um, pursuing God's voice and then how to discern it from thoughts rattling around in your head or things mm -hmm. you've heard from friends? Yes. So um, my first bit of advice would be don't necessarily expect an audible voice. 
I've been following the Lord for a while now, and I have not ever heard the audible voice of God, but I am becoming more attuned to his voice. It says in scripture that um, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and that takes some time. Uh, So don't feel bad if you can't quite tell right now what the shepherd's voice sounds like. That just comes with hanging out with the shepherd. It comes with hanging out with Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, hiding his word in your heart is a way that he will speak to you so that when you're in a, you like, you know, you're in a, a hard situation where things feel overwhelming, you're like, oh, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Or, um, you know, you're, you're feeling unlovable or unworthy and you hear the words, but I have loved you with an everlasting love. Or um, you're like Thomas and you're like, God, Jesus, how will I know the way in this decision? And then you'll know that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, the example that we just gave. Mm-hmm. So the word is a hugely powerful tool. He gave us a whole big book of his voice speaking. So the more you can hide your the word in your heart, the more that it will speak back to you in those times. And that you can be assured is God's voice. Uh, speaking to you there. Um, And sometimes just be aware of impressions that you have on your spirit. Uh, For instance, you know, maybe you get a little Holy Spirit nudge to call someone or to, you know, take a different way and stop by to see a friend and you find you get there to the doorstep and you realize they were somebody who was really in need right in that moment. Or you're like, all of a sudden somebody will come to mind and just pause to pray for them. And I think that you'll you'll begin to realize that you're actually hearing the voice of God because you'll find out later that at the moment that you were praying for that person, they actually really needed it. God does speak through friends, uh, wise counsel. He does speak through um, messages that we listen to when it, you know, just make sure it aligns, aligns with scripture make sure they're, you know, people that you trust and also keep in mind that they're human, they're human. And so are you, and we can hear things wrong. Uh, we can sometimes our, you know, our heads are filled with voices that have been rattling around in there for a long time. Just, um, don't expect, um, you know, like this perfect way of audibly hearing anything or even just impressioning it, spend time with the Lord and trust that that is a muscle that you will continue to work with practice. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I know for me, I have found that the times I'm sometimes really afraid to take those chances and to ask someone to pray when I feel like God's prompting me to. And there have been times when I've been like, hey, I just, you know, really feel like God wants me to pray with you right now. And they're like, no, no, everything's fine. You know, and that's okay. I have found that it's hearing God wrong, or maybe that wasn't hearing God wrong. Who knows why I, I felt that, but, but there are times when we think that we hear correctly and it turns out that we didn't, but that's just one more way to sift through. Okay. I know how that felt. I know how that sounded. And now the next time I have that same feeling, I, I will maybe know that, okay, maybe that's not it, but, oh, these times that I, I felt that urge, like, I, I felt like a fire in my heart. I felt, um, you know, I, I heard a scripture or whatever it is. I feel like that it takes trial and error. It takes not being afraid to hear wrong because we're, it, it doesn't mean, I think we're afraid that if we do something in Jesus name or that we think God's calling us to do, and it wasn't that somehow we've like 
marred his reputation or Mm -hmm. like, like we're, we feel like we've got to make excuses, but it's, I I think that for, this is for me personally is kind of how I feel sometimes. And I think just letting go of that burden of performing, because that's not what it's about. It's a relationship. And if you hear wrong, it's just one more experience that helps you fine tune your hearing to his voice and it's okay. And it's like, I I think some people think if I'm not hearing perfectly, it's like a pride thing. Maybe if I'm not hearing perfectly, then I'm not a real Christian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or if they're, you know, like, let's say you got a big decision to make and you feel like if I go down path B and I, and I was supposed to go down path A, I've just suddenly ruined my life. Well, guess what? God walks down path B with you too. It's going to be okay. And, and also like in your, in your example, Jamie, I love that one. Like you go up to somebody and you're like, I really feel strongly that I'm supposed to pray for you. And you know that, that, you know, that's from the Lord. You are in charge of your obedience to what God said. That's and it's so their good. response is not your, your responsibility. That's, yes. that's God. And you, we have no idea how later a year from now, that person will be like, I know the one who's going to pray for me. Mm-hmm. I need prayer. And I don't know how to do this by myself. And I'm going to call Jamie because I know she will. It'll, I think, it, I think those things make a difference later. Really that's do. a really good point. That's a very good point. Um, well, kind of back to being honest with God. So I, I've got a couple of things. I think all of my questions are two-part questions, but I have, so I, I have this picture of your Pac-Man journal. I had similar things, you know, where you've got the little lock on it. And mm-hmm. um, so when we are honest with God in a book or in a diary or a journal or anything, there could be stuff that we do not want other people to hear about. So can you just talk to people who are just terrified about a even being honest with God because they feel like their stuff is too much for him um, or, and, and then B maybe they're okay sharing it with God, but when it comes to writing it down or processing on paper, they're afraid someone's going to read it and they don't want that. Like what, how do we handle those things? Right. I'm going to handle the human one. Um, first, like yeah. other people finding it. Well, first of all, for right now, find a good place to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I really, really actually mean this. Um, if you don't want somebody to read it and then you either need to decide I'm going to burn this or, you know, throw it away or whatever when I'm done, because you just don't want people to read that. I do though, encourage you to maybe start another one. Like, let's say you're doing stuff. I don't like tell God, I would say start a second copy because there's a lot of things in there that you actually really would want somebody to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you have these journals or, you know, whether it's stuff, I don't like tell God or a blank journal where you're recording things that you're good with outliving you. And the other one, if you're not, if you don't want to part with them because you still need them, do you want to see them? You've got to have your burn it friend or something like, okay, Michelle, if I die before you, this is where I hide the journals. Promise me on our friendship that you will take these out and burn them. People do that. And that's, I mean, that's the other option. I think you just, or, you know, maybe you just decide when I'm gone, you know, I already know where I'm going. They know where I'm going. They can just look at it and, and think what, you know, know that I've come through all that and I'm on the other side literally. <laughs> so it, I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about how to handle it on a human level. Oh on my the goodness. other part, yeah, the, uh, the other part, the like, burn it ahead. friend. I'm sorry. I have to take a second <laughs> on having a burn it friend. That is so good. I, and I, I forget what it was that I was listening to. I think it was an interview maybe with Beth Moore when one of her employees 
had um she had like an like a a stroke or or something happened a brain injury traumatic brain injury unexpectedly and ended up in a coma for a while in the hospital and she said something about like one of the first things that their tight group of friends was like her family's coming to stay at her apartment we got to go take care of take care of her journal you know like we got to hide her journals you know that kind of thing so yeah the burn it friend that is that's huge. That's like, that's a true friend to have someone that you, you know, have a, have a special place set aside. But anyway, yes, continue yes, on. You were going to go back to the other question. Yeah. The other one, like, how do I put this stuff before God? Um, it does seem, we just talked about this a little bit ago. Obviously God knows all the things that are going through our minds. He knows all of our struggles. Um, but it can be very difficult to write that stuff down. I know because I've been there about 20 years ago, I went to a retreat. It was a three-day retreat. And on Friday night, the pastor stood in front of us and he's like, everyone of you has got this little piece of paper. And I want you to write like your sins, your regrets, the burdens, just anything that's weighing you down or standing between you and God. And I'm like, I need a lot bigger paper than that, but okay, whatever. And I um, started to write. And even though I could have filled pages of a notebook with everything, I didn't want to write some of it down Mm -hmm. and it wasn't because I thought anybody was going to see it. I didn't want to look at my own crap and I just didn't want to, um, I just didn't want to say it in front of God, in front of a holy God. So some things I just didn't leave off. I I just left it off. And other times I put like initials for things. I do that Um, too. Or one word prayers with a word (laughs) that I know what it means, even though no one else would know. And, um, It's so funny because looking back on that moment, I realized that I had this anti-gospel notion that I have to come cleaned up before God, which is so ridiculous. Like he died for our sins. He's like, I want all that stuff. I already died for it. My cross is actually big enough for all the things on your paper. And also it's just hard to, hard to see it and hard to come before a holy God like that. But as I've grown in faith and I'm still on this road of learning and on this road of being honest before God, the fruit of getting honest at that level with him is far greater than, than this risk or, or being uncomfortable before the Lord. He really does already know. I just think we need to remember that. Well, you take it a step further in your book and say, not only the one thing braver than sharing your secrets with God is sharing with someone that doesn't already know them. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about that? And is it important? Why it's important? And how do we find that person? Right. So when that happens at the very end of the journal, after you've done this and you've gotten honest before God and you you realize that felt really good. Mm -hmm. I am so glad I did that. This is a challenge I place before people to find somebody else in their lives to share with uh, because there is that community is built around vulnerability and authenticity. That is where we make connections so much deeper than if we come to each other all together. And how do you find that person? That person might already live in your home. That person might be your spouse. I know couples that have been this summer, this past summer, going on family vacations together and it becomes the kind of the thing we're going to do in the, on long car rides. They're asking each other these questions. I know couples that are doing this on um, prayer nights. I am familiar with a number of women's groups, 
not even like Bible studies, just like, you know, girls that get together, girlfriend groups, just getting together and talking about questions in here. Um, therapists are using them with their, their clients, um, and some dating couples, which I think is so cool. I love to know that dating couples are, are going through this together before they commit to a life together. Um, siblings, just really whoever you feel is, is a person that you can get that honest with. And even so it might be that not every question is one that you would feel comfortable answering because there are some super deep questions in there, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a, it's a good start to try to decide that talking about these things matters. Yeah. Agreed. And just confession in general. I mean, it's confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. I mean, there is, there's so much healing that comes from it. And, you know, Alana and I have done at times when we do recordings, uh, you know, we do batch recordings and we'll have times of confession before we sit down to record. And it's so healing. It's, um, but once you start, it dredges up a lot and it's so, um, it could be, uh, I don't know. I just would like to offer kind of not a warning, but a, just a heads up when you start opening yourself up, it might feel like you're going backwards at first. Like I thought I was a pretty good person. I did not think that I was really all that bad or had that much sin in my life. And it might feel like as you start this process of confession or digging that you're going backwards, either in your faith or your morality, or I don't know how to put it, but as a person, Mm -hmm. but that's good because you're not going backwards. You're stirring up the sludge, you know, you're stirring up the bad stuff. Um, The dross, maybe, you know, the dross is coming to the top so that it can be skimmed off and dealt with. So I just, um, that's been my experience is it's scary at first, then it becomes freeing. And then I go through this process of, oh, there's a lot. Like, I didn't know this about me. And that's good, though, to to keep pushing forward because it's so good and so healing. That is smart. I love that. And I never really thought about that before. But um, yeah, it's just kind of the, that whole thing about the only way out is through. So you kind of yes. have to go down through the, through the muck to get up, up to the other side and know yes. that it keeps, we're always going to have stuff this side of heaven. We're just right. always going to have stuff. I, I wish there were things, you know, we might get new stuff and get rid of old stuff, but there are that these are just, this is just part of the human experience and the human struggle. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, this has been so good. I, I just, I love this journal can't wait to read Growing Slow and just get a window into your life and some of the lessons that you've learned through living through the seasons and on a farm. Um, but where can our listeners find your books? Because you have quite a few, I think. Um, find you on social media and connect with you online. All my books are listed at jenniferdukesley.com. And then that's my handle on all of my socials as well. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And then um, you can also go to stuff I'd only tell God on Instagram. And quite often I'll have journal prompts on there. And then we get to have conversations around some of the, some of these particular prompts, which is really neat to do in community. That's great. I love it. I will be going there too. Well, we're going to close in prayer today. Thank you so much for being here and just taking the time to share your book, share your heart with us. Thank um, you. How can we pray for you? 
Well, I'll, if you have moms on here very often, I'm sure a lot of times the mom's prayer requests are centered around her family. Yeah. <laughs> and so for, I mean, for me, it's just, you know, my kids are just in a huge period of transition. We're um, newish to the empty nest. Our younger daughter just got back from Guatemala and then is suddenly culture shocked into uh, the life of, of camp- being on campus. And Likewise, our daughter, our older daughter is a senior at college and is coming off of a wonderful year spent at Oxford. So, you know, they're just, they're both, they both are just growing so rapidly and so many things changing. And at the same time, having, you know, lived a lot of my life through the lens of being a mom, it just changes the dynamics for me and how to be a good mom and also just how to be me and how to be a couple. So all of those things. All right. I will do that. Before we go, I, I've been looking at this picture behind you. It, it's like a stained glass. Can you just tell me real quick, tell us a little bit about that picture? Not everyone will see it if they're listening and not watching, but what is what is that? Yes, I grew up in a little town called Marathon, Iowa, in one house my entire growing up years. And um, it was a 110-year-old house, and it had stained glass windows everywhere in it, including on the landing um, when you would come up this big staircase and there was this particular stained glass was about, is about three times that size. And it was a very, um, kind of iconic part of our house and our, our life, our life. I had a stained glass maker. I just basically make the same thing for this house. And this is the house that our girls have grown up in. So it's a replica of the one that was in the home growing up. And it, 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 a lot of people think it either looks like a big old boat coming around the island or a big house on a hill. And I am inclined to think it's a house on a hill. That's kind of what it looks like to me, but that's yeah. very, it's beautiful. So, all right. Well, thank you again, Jennifer. And I'm going to close this out in prayer. Thank you. God, we just thank you so much for this time with Jennifer. We thank you for this time to just be reminded of the importance of getting real with you and remembering that you love us exactly as we are, that there's nothing that we need to do to polish ourselves up to come before your presence. And I just pray now in Jesus name, if there's someone out there who feels like she is not worthy to come to you in prayer, either because she's done things or not done things or hasn't prayed and and feels like she only prays out of desperation, just remove those barriers, Lord. I just pray that she would see that you desire her, that you love her with an everlasting love and that you want her to be in relationship with you, that you want to hear from her, that you want to cover her with your wings and comfort her and remind her how loved she is and that you want to be an active part of her life and and involved in two-way communication. I just thank you for this this journal that Jennifer has created that that's a tool that makes this so easy. Um maybe not easy, that makes it accessible and and that it's it makes it doable even if it's hard. I just I pray for the courage for all of us to pursue relationship with you, to pursue transparency, even when it's hard to keep going and just to not be afraid to have those um, layers uncovered or have that dross rise to the top so that you can help us deal with it, help, help to remind us that 
it's already been taken care of on the cross. I just pray that the truth of the gospel would shine over all of these things that come out as we journal and that you would just be part of part of our lives, part of our journey, part of our story as as we go through these different questions. Lord, I just pray for Jennifer and her family. We lift up her girls and just thank you for the great experiences that they've had and the things that they've been able to do. And we just pray that you would just be that light shining right in front for the next steps that they need to take now as they move into different seasons of life. I just pray that you would help them um, to draw closer to you, to never lose focus on you, to, to not be distracted by anything on their right or their left, but to just keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of their faith, that they would just keep, keep running that race with perseverance and that you would guide them and direct them and protect them. God. Um, I just think of that, the scripture that I pray all the time for my own kids, not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be protected from the evil one, that they'd be set apart for your purposes, that they would be equipped for every good work that you have planned for them, that their hearts would be um, refined along the way and just made pure and, and single hearted to just look to please you and only you, that their ears would be attuned to your voice and no one else's, that their eyes would be fixed on the plans and the purposes that you have for them and that they wouldn't be distracted by anything that the world would have to throw at them or other people um, or ideas. Lord, I just pray for Jennifer, for her ministry, for her work, that you would just place a hedge of protection around her, that you would continue to give her vision and creativity, that you would guide her and direct her into the next steps of her new season of life, and that you would just allow her work and especially this journal, just to go out and meet women right where they are and be a bridge between um, between women and you and that salvations would happen, that resurrected prayer lives would happen, that um, that women that just didn't even uh, didn't even know that you were chasing after them would see for the first time that you've always been there all along and that you would just be glorified in, in all of her work and um, just bless her in abundance in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the praying Christian women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.